you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Coming up on Total Access, The Locker Room. Before the half, you just feel like, yeah, you could kick. We could also be real disrespectful here. <laughs> run a trick play, player to coach. It was, you want to do this? She's my friend. Let's do it. That was our attitude. Welcome to NFL Total Access, The Locker Room. I'm Michael Robinson, along with Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. Coach, what's going down? Hey, I'm doing great. Get to talk to one of the family today. Yeah, one of the family. We're going to let you guys in on what players and coaches really talk about inside the locker room. Today, we're talking to a guy I had the pleasure of playing against back in his NFC West days, Chris Long and Coach, growing up with a Hall of Fame dad. Um, The pressure that has, he talks about exactly, you know, how we learned how to get into pass rushing and all of that. Fascinating stories from Chris Long. Yeah, and to find out just growing up with the respect for the game, for what his dad did, and with a younger brother now that now, well, you know what brothers can be, right? There's some going around and around there. So this is going to get fun. And here he is, genuine football royalty. 2018, Walter Payton, man of the year, two-time Super Bowl champion, Defensive end and a guy hated to block on many occasions when he was in St. Louis. Defensive end, Chris Long, big dog. What's happening? Welcome to the show. Emrod, what's up, man? I, I got to say, you probably hated blocking defensive ends, period. They, they, they put you in that position a lot. So it's, it's always respect between me and you, dude. Absolutely, man. So we start off every show, Chris, with, with a locker room story. Okay. And we, we're not talking about those stories that we usually, you know, tell on television that, you know, it's only 45 seconds and we got to kind of, you know, censor ourselves. No, this is the TA podcast, man. <laughs> Let it go. Okay. We need a locker room story um, from your time in the National Football League. Man, listen, uh, when, when Jeff Fisher came to town, that was in a lot of ways, it, it revitalized my love for football. We were really bad before Jeff got there. And then we were like middling, which was, you know, <laughs> just up and we never could get over the hump. But Jeff was a coach that liked to have us work hard, but keep things light. So he encouraged the pranks, you know, from, we put James Laronitis's truck in the indoor bubble and wrapped it with bubble wrap and put a thousand, a thousand crickets in it. <laughs> well, hold up. 
Real you, cricket? Where do you get a thousand crickets? Yes. Okay, so, where do you go to get that? So this will be – you guys remember William Hayes, right? He's a very yes. good player, yes. underrated uh, inside rusher. He rushed inside on third down and backed me up uh, at defensive end. And we were really tight, so we were always looking for stuff to do. We usually mess with James because he was really a good Christian, like a real turn-the-other-cheek guy. So when you – when you so when we pulled his truck in the indoor one day, uh, we, we wanted to go get some bubble wrap, which is an old trick. You know, pull the yeah. truck in the indoor. Everybody's done that before. We went to the uh, post office to try to get some bubble wrap and some packing peanuts and whatnot, and we heard some crickets in the back. And we said, you guys keep crickets at the post office, huh? And they said, no, there's a bait shop that just got a major ship, uh-huh. 10000 so I think this oh is cool, but we waited an hour for the bait shop guy on our day off to get there, and we bartered with him. Tickets for crickets. And uh, <laughs> like that and then and then so we went back in there. We put all the crickets in. He he took his car apart, and we got in there. He heard the chirp, and he said, "What the hell's going on? We got crickets in the car." Turns out the prank went a little too far. The crickets died, and he had to sell his Audi. No, the crickets died. Oh. The crickets oh died my inside God. of the Audi, and uh, the smell never went away. If you no. cricket, if you ever had a dead cricket in your house, you have a bunch of dead crickets in your house. They smell terrible. Another thing we did. Hey, Coach, look how he's just talking through yeah, it. Like, but wait, I, mean, I got I got What was the retaliation? He had to get back. That's what I'm saying, Coach. He was like a true good cheek. You know, he thought about shipping my truck to London and having it out on the practice field when we got there, but he couldn't get the, the freight there on time, and he realized yeah. it was probably a little steeper than he wanted. It. He wasn't as committed as the D line room. <laughs> There was another time where the DBs used to mess with us. We were getting ready to play you guys, actually. Mm-hmm. This is funny. So we were one of those Week 17 games where everything, it's like rigged up there. There's yep. light rain. It's 40 degrees. Your defense makes a play in the third quarter. We don't it, control the weather, brother. We don't control yeah, the weather. You guys, <laughs> you guys win 12 to 7, you know, like. So, Typical, yeah. So anyways, we uh, we were getting ready to play that game and to keep things light. The DBs would, would bust in our room and throw ice at us, which was stupid. It's the dumbest room to throw ice in. We're the richest, most childish room in the building. <laughs> so, so we took their so we took their cars once we left. I had the tow truck driver bring their cars out into the big field in front of the facility, and I called a carpenter, and I had them build houses around all their trucks. What? And these are houses without doors or windows, and we painted them. And we put windows on them, like painted windows on them. We put mailboxes on them and Christmas lights was around Christmas. So when the trucks pulled around at three in the morning on the way back, guys quickly realized their cars were in there. And DBville was the name of the neighborhood. And they had to get chainsaws to get them out. So we we had fun with pranks. Y'all went stuff. all in, man. Yeah, dude. Hey, you know what? You got to keep a light on, on losing teams sometimes. <laughs> I mean, you know, can't beat ourselves up for 17 weeks. Yeah. Hey, look, look, uh, we did the same thing to Vernon Davis when I played for the San Francisco 49ers, except we took all of his tires off. OK, and his oh. his car on cinder blocks, two blocks down the road. <laughs> he was not happy about that one. And then oh. he missed the practice dealing with his car. So he got five <laughs> two. double whammy. But, um, yo, I, I want to get into your family, man, like. Dad, Hall of Famer, like, you know, you've got Super Bowls. Your brother uh, plays as well. Like, what was it like growing up in a, in a football family? Because I, I almost want to know what my son is going to go through one day. You know what I'm saying? What is it like? Did, did you feel pressured to have to play? Did it, was it fun? Like, give, the, give our listeners kind of a, a, a backseat view of kind of growing up. Well, the first thing is my dad was able to give me something through football that he didn't have in his life growing up. You know, he... um he didn't have much. And so giving me what he didn't have was a major joy for him. And then him 
you know, what a great father uh, for somebody who didn't have as much of a, a, a presence in his life, you know? And so like, he's, he's learning as he goes and, and uh, he was bounced around as a kid. So, I mean, just seeing him and the, and the father that he was and looking back now that I'm a dad, I'm like, man, he hit it out of the park. So number one, great dad. Um, and somebody who didn't make football, the, the lead, you know, it was impossible for him not to be magnetic wherever he went. And that could get annoying because you're sitting down to eat. He's like, there's the guy with the flat top. (laughs) There's how long there's a guy got your trading card. And like, everybody wants to talk to him. You know, that part of it could be tough. And then also the pressure, you know, like whatever you do, you know, you're not a gold jacket guy. You could have a great career. And people say, where's your gold jacket? And I said, well, I did everything I ever did. (laughs) Yeah. It's in dad's room. Like, (laughs) you know, like, uh, 70 sacks in the NFL, 11 years, walking away on my terms, two Super Bowls. And there's still always people that are going to say, you, you didn't do what your dad did. Same thing with my brother. And and that's and that's the reality of it. And we knew that from an early age. So I think that made us tougher. I really do. And yeah. I think, you know, for, for your kid and for, you know, for all for all my teammates' kids, it's funny that every once in a while, after they stopped giving me about my dad, they would circle up and be like, what's that going to be like, right? Because yeah. you're kind of in the position my kids are going to be like. And, 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 and my dad never pushed me to play football. In fact, they didn't want me to play. They did not want me to play. Cause you know, my dad played in the old CBA 13 years, wow. bunch of operations, you know, like just a, it was a rough time, you know? And so that was how he knew football. And even now, like it, it wouldn't be the first, op- um, yeah. this wouldn't be the first profession I would pick for my kid. He's got to pick that for himself. You know, I, this, this is far too serious, too grueling too life-changing either way, too pressure-packed to push a kid to being a professional football player. And so before I went out for peewee football, him and my mom like huddled up and they were like, how do we get him not to play? Let's tell him that he can't play. And my dad was like, that's a bad idea because he's going to, if you tell him he can't play, he's going to win. Yeah. Yeah. I've so got, they, I got, I got yeah. two questions. I got to get yeah. to you, Chris, because, and, and I, I can hear exactly what you're saying. I got two grandsons and people are always asking me, do you want them to play football? And I, my aunt, pat answer has been no, but I don't want them to ski. I don't want them to date. I don't want them to cross the street. <laughs> I don't want them to do anything. You know, I'm, I'm that kind yeah. of grandparent. But two questions I got, and and growing up in a family, one because you talked about your dad. When did? How old were you when you really first realized? Oh wow, that's big time. I mean, yeah, yeah the adulation of people growing up, but you really understood. No, we're talking Hall of Fame. When when did that resonate with you? Man, probably around the time that I got knowledge of context as a football fan like you know when i was 12 13 years old my dad's going to the hall of fame like i i started understanding the context of our great game kind of where he sat and that blew me away like when he would you know i go to the pro bowl and you know it was cool but i was more concerned with drinking the virgin pina coladas by the pool and <laughs> playing with the other kids and stuff so you know, when I was young and I met people like Barry Sanders, who's my favorite running back of all time. And, you know, I, I got a chance to meet him as a kid. Like I was like, Dada, who's that? Or dad, who's that? You know, that was walking off the field. Like these guys all are the same to me. It's just they're big men with football pads on. That's what my dad does for a living. By the time I knew, I looked back and was kicking myself for not having known, yeah. you know, Bo Jackson's in the kitchen. Wow. You know, Bill Jackson's hanging out with dad in the living room and I'm not making, wow. you know, I don't know it's a big deal because my dad made it not right. so big deal. Well, and the other thing is, you know, and, and Kyle, your, your, your brother, you know, and I have brothers and I remember talking with Howie and Howie and I worked together briefly at Fox and I loved it. And 
telling stories. And he says, yeah, he says the boys, the boys learned early. He said, when they got into it, both of them learned to go for the blunt instrument right away. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that story was true. You know, Kyle, Kyle, well, the problem was Howie is six feet tall, 5'11", so he's regular size dude, <laughs> which to him doesn't feel very huge, right? I mean, because my brother, I'm, I'm the third biggest guy in my family. I mean, there's a bunch of he men walking around here. And so Kyle's 6'7", 330, rolling out of bed with abs. Um, <laughs> so in high school, Kyle and Howie are Irish twins, so they're the ones who are fighting. People always ask me about me and Kyle fighting, like, I, I I roughed him up a couple of times. When, but by the time he was my height, I was like, all right. Yeah, you know, like, I'm good. Him and Howie would fight at school. You know, him and Howie would get sent home from school. And one time, you know, Howie grabbed a picture frame and threw it at his head. And there's stitches and there's blood. And like, sure. They're family. Know, but they were kids. You know, they were kids. They were just kids. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it was, man. It, it was a rambunctious group. But any any group of brothers with three boys in the family is always going to be there's always going to be that stuff. Let me ask you this before, you know, before we move on to some more football stuff, uh, being in a family like that, uh, talk about this thing called pedigree, right? Yeah. Was there something, you know, whether it's on the field, dad take you to the park or whatever, and really show you some inside stuff, you know, so the secret sauce or how to rush the pass or whatever, because that's the one thing I talk to my kids about, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. guys, you're not going to get this information from anybody else because I actually did this. Absolutely. And that was something that, like, you know, the funny thing about me and my dad was people always compared us because, well, first off, there's no comparison. He, you know, like I said, you know, he's he's one of the greatest to ever do it. But he, he was an inside rusher, mostly. Like, we'll sit there and watch plays and, you know, we'll have talks about football. And he's like, you know, honestly, like, Chris, there's – you couldn't rush inside like I could rush inside, not even close, but I couldn't really rush outside like you could. And the game has changed and that sort of thing. So his way of, of getting to the quarterback was all rip, hump. You know, it was certainly had a great get off, but it was leverage. It was that type of stuff. And, and my way of rushing was very different. You know, the way I was taught to rush the pass when I switched to a 4-3 in the, in the league was Leonard Little pulled me aside and said, you need a way to turn the corner. Yeah. He was like, let's work on the, the double swipe, like side scissors or, and then everything off. My dad probably never used side scissors. The, the game was different then. So there, there was always an element of pre-snap awareness, like, you know, decoding the run game. You know, what do you have to do to work? That was really what my dad taught me the most, like was work ethic. And, and I could honestly say I probably tried to outwork and mostly successfully, most guys in my position, I wasn't more talented than most guys who were drafted high. That was the reality of it. I mean, I was a talented dude, but I'm looking at somebody like Jadavian Clowney. Come on, dude. We're like oh, we're from a different planet. So I was drafted high, but I had to work hard to, to even try to try to live up to that even remotely. So that came from my dad, just being able to grind through stuff. And, and certainly when you're drafted to a bad team, that resiliency helps a lot. I'm going to switch, switch gears a little bit. Yeah. You know, you, you won back-to-back Super Bowls, man, one with Tom Brady, um, and then you go on and, and go to Philly and, and win another one. All right, Patrick Mahomes is trying to win um, back-to-back Super Bowls. Yes. Right? What was it like, first of all, first of all, winning back-to-back Super Bowls? I only got one. I, I can't imagine winning another one. And then, two, having to switch locker rooms doing it, man. Like yeah, you, yeah. You, you, the difference in the, in the team in the locker room. That, that yeah. fascinates me. That's a great one. First off, Patrick Mahomes is, is the reason they're going to win too. You know, I was a good, I was a good free, I was a good handicapper. You know what I mean? Like after eight years in St. Louis and winning 34 games or whatever it was, it was, 
Hey, I don't even care what anybody says. I'm ring chasing. So like, I just don't know when you yeah, 31 years old. I don't know if I'm going to have another opportunity. I come off two years on IR, you know, go from captain to cut in like 600 days. It's just the NFL is <laughs> that's the way it is, you know? And so I, I got to take my shot. So I'm going to go to new England and, and Bill called me and didn't, I didn't even have, um, I was getting ready to go visit the Cowboys. I was at the airport getting ready to go visit the Cowboys. And boy, am I sure I picked that phone call up, huh? Um, <laughs> so I picked the phone call up and Bill's like, we traded Chandler, you know, and them trading Chandler had nothing to do with me, but they had to fill that role, that one great player with, you know, three, four good rushers or two good rushers. And, and that was the model they went with that year. And so he told me, he's like, I don't really have a role for you. I just know you're a good football player and I look forward to getting you here and figuring out a role for you. And for me, it was everything from playing three technique on first and second down at like 265 pounds and not an attack scheme, you know, like coach, you know, how you know how yeah. they play that. And, yeah. and then dropping in the flat, which I'd never done to rushing on the right side, which I'd never done. So that whole year was just, I'm trading the eye for, you know, to be a part of this thing. And so it was a wonderful experience. And I learned so much about football because Bill Belichick knows more about each position than the position coach. What? So that was the first head coach I'd ever had that could walk around to the field and coach, you know, stop the D line indie period and be like, Hey, this is what you need to do. And it was the best bit of coaching I got all day. And that's no disrespect to Brendan Daly or the next position coach. You're talking about the goat here. So on Mondays, he pulled everybody in the room, offensive defense and tore us all up like in front of each other, which was important it was just a, an experience I, I was so grateful to have. But at the end of the year, I wanted to go back and play a four, three, and I wanted to finish the game on my terms and mm -hmm. tell people that I wasn't washed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like when you leave new England, especially under your own power and being like, I, I'm out, like people are like, something's wrong. So when I picked Philly, it was just more of like a, I want to play an attacking defense. We had watched them play Atlanta on our pre Super Bowl reel. And I was like, Hmm, those guys have fun. Like they have a lot of fun like three yards in the backfield setting the edge there and disrupting. And that's kind of what drove my thinking, but I had no idea we'd do that. So hold up. You were, you were, you know, playing for new England, you know, prepping to play the Falcons, watching Philly and looking at their defensive line. Like, damn. Yeah. Like in the back of my mind, not yeah. like, not like scheming on like, cause right. at that point you're not even thinking about the, yeah. off season, but the first time I saw Philly play Atlanta at home, they were one of those teams that got after him. And they reminded me, they didn't have a group like we had in St. Louis. Our group in St. Louis was Robert Quinn, Aaron Donald, William Hayes, myself, you know, like five deep, Kendall Langford, you know, talk about greater Richmond guys. Yep. I'm probably forgetting some good players. So when I went to Philly, it was like, it had that feel though of we have a D line room that can lead the team. Mm. And we didn't, we weren't the best unit on the team. The O line was the best unit on the team. That O line is one of the best O lines I've ever seen in my time in the league. You know, between Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, Jason Peters, yep. really more prime Jason Peters, um, all those guys were five deep. And that was a magical run, man. We were picked to be in the bottom four, yeah. you know, four or five teams in the league. And I remember we went toe to toe with Kansas City early. And you know how it is. You're trying to figure out what kind of team you are. And you were like, is this fluky or are we good? And then about halfway through the season, we start beating the breaks off teams. And then we, we went into L.A. and beat them and you know, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a lot of really good teams and, and, and you know, the injury thing with, with Carson and Nick. So it was a wild ride. I'm interested. I don't want to get too footbully here, but but 
going from going, going from in New England, which is a thinking man's game and two gap and all the different things, and then you go with Jim Schwartz in Philadelphia with those wide nines. Just go, just go. Talk a little bit about those wide nines. That's got to be we go into a system that's dedicated to that. You got to love that. Now. Yeah, it was it was a great changeup. Um, you know, like you said in New England. And again, I could be getting the call, like I could be hearing a third variation of the call right as the ball snapped in New England. Like, you know how it is. I mean, you, you offensive guys are really smart, right? Yeah, we're, right. Kinda, we're, we're Steve Ball, get ball. So this is, a, <laughs> yeah, I'm smart, but I've never had to think so much while I played. And so when I got to Philly, it was great. My favorite defense I ever played in was the defenses we played in St. Louis because we were attacked, but there was a – there was an emphasis on being physical, like really physical. And Mike Waffle's a great D-line coach. Yeah. And then when Greg Williams came in, you say what you want about Greg, but Greg got everybody to play their asses off. Yes. And so the the thing in Philly, you know, sometimes there were little intricacies in that in that wide nine scheme where I was like, I'd really like to go hit that guy, right? <laughs> I'd, really like go, I'd really like to go blow that guy up. And they'd be like, you're too heavy on this guy. You're too heavy. Or like, just, just run by him, you know? And, and Thank so that was, that was an adjustment too. So not all of them are created equal, but it was a big refreshing like experience for me. And it allowed me to finish my career with some pride and be like, okay, that time I got hurt and everybody said I was washed. I've been a key part of a Super Bowl team and playing the type of football I like. So it felt fulfilling. That's awesome, man. I right, look, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go to one of the Super Bowls now, Super Bowl 51. Yeah. All right. You're down 21, three at halftime. All right. Um, and, and we all know how Super Bowl halftimes are. They're long as hell. All right. In Seattle, we actually practiced the halftime two or three times before we left Seattle. I mean, guys are wondering, what the hell are we doing, coach? And Pete Carroll said, we're going to win halftime, guys. We're going to win halftime. Right. He made that a big deal. Like, what was that half room? What was that halftime locker room speech like? Because. I'm not going to lie, Chris. I didn't think y'all was going to win that game. Down 21-3, that does not happen in the National Football You and me both, dude. Okay, so <laughs> here's the thing. And coach, and, and, and coach, when I talk to a coach, I always feel like, what if I was in the room with Coach Bullock? Like, and I was yeah. going to probably be like, Chris, what are you saying right now? But <laughs> I did not believe, you know, like, and that's okay because it's a funny thing. Like, just because you don't believe you can win doesn't mean you give up busting your ass. Right. It's not important sometimes as a player whether you think you can win the game as a team. What's important is, are you going to play like your hair is on fire regardless of the outcome? And I have a PhD in that from playing in St. Louis. So it might have been weirder for the, the New England guys who aren't accustomed to being down like that. If they didn't believe, they're like, well, what do we do now? We're ne we've never been down at the half 21-3, whatever this is on a big stage. So for me, I just, I don't remember what the speech was. You know, I'm not even going to lie. I, I don't think Bill came in there and did a rah-rah thing. I think Bill was all about one play at a time, which was nice. And, you know, a couple players, I think Deron Harmon got up and was like, guys, we're going to win this game. And in my head, I was like, how about we just get a stop and maybe, you know, string a drive together in my head, right? Yeah, yeah. So we get out there and it wasn't till... And it's funny, you say, do you remember the halftime speech? I was doing National Anthem because we were joking about betting the National Anthem the other day on the pod. And I was going back through National Anthems, and I saw, uh, who was it? Luke Bryan singing a National Anthem, and I go, what Super Bowl was that? It was all. <laughs> you don't remember. It's no. a blur. Yeah. As you guys know, it's like, it's, like a, it's like being out on a highway and cars are whizzing by. That's the, so I don't remember the halftime speech. All I remember was the moment Devontae. Oh, yeah, Freeman. Devontae Freeman, who's a really good player. He missed the blitz protection. Oh, my goodness. Um, I got him after that. Yes, he did. 
And so the minute that happened and we kind of met at Devontae, I'm still mad at high because he got there right before me. But like, I just remember like laying on Matt Ryan, hearing guys getting excited. I didn't know the ball was out, I don't think. And then the minute I looked up and saw that, that somebody had the ball, you could see the entire sideline was like up. He'll take it, backs up, a blitzer coming. And Hightower gets to the quarterback. Ball is loose. Patriots recovering at the 25. And that was the moment for us that, you know, in a game where you can identify that turning point, that was it. And, you know, even down to the last drive when Julio caught that circus catch on the sideline, we thought we were dead again. Mm. And they found a way not to, to run the ball. <laughs> and I like how you phrase it. They found a way not to run the ball. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. Yes! A touchdown and a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Talk about the halftime speeches as a coach, and you're you're always in, okay, well, what do I say here? And I remember uh, Tiki Barber, who I've done a number of things with, and, of course, we beat the Giants and was a major beatdown. And offensively, they just couldn't do anything. Sean Payton's our offensive coordinator. Coach, so I was Tiki, there. Oh, okay, that's right, yeah. Well, no, I was, as a kid, uh, yeah. my dad brought me that one. That was cool. That's that's how old I am. Thank you for making me feel so old. Chris. I, I was at Hopkins, too. When you, you were... You were two years off. old when did the speech, Coach. Did oh, you? really? Oh, okay. Yes, I, I, I do feel old. That's good. So anyway, so anyways, Tiki Barber's telling the story. He says, "So we're just we're killing them. They they haven't even crossed the fifty yard line, and and they're not going to." And Sean Payton's the offensive coordinator, so they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. So Sean, and you all know Tiki. Tiki can be a little irreverent. So you yeah. talk about the ultimate halftime speeches. Sean gets up and goes, "Guys, we're going to go no huddle. We're going to change the pace of the game." They're not going to know what hits them. We're going to come out and go not huddle. And in the back of the room, Tiki goes, oh, great. Now we can go three and out quicker than we already <laughs> are now. <laughs> Boom. Just killed the, just killed the no huddle. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. Hey, Phil, I got a question for you real quick, not, a side, not to go sidebar too no, quick. How far behind, like, your group was the Rams when they were playing their best this year? Were they like a good way behind or were there times where you're like, this defense is pretty dominant? Yeah. You know, we had, I, I got to say, in that group that we had, it's always the debate. It, I, I'm, it's like talking about your kids. Right. Yeah, I think that 2000 Raven group is the greatest single season defense in the history of the league. Now we can argue, but sure, yeah. broke the all time scoring record, which is never going to be broken again. Nope. And we won the Super Bowl, So that's the criteria. Okay. Fair enough. Right. Um, that that group that we had in 2000 was so uniquely each puzzle part was perfect huge inside presence great pass rush off the edge with peter bulware and michael mccrary ray lewis hall of famer in the second level rod woodson mm-hmm. hall of famer in the back end and and that team we could we could get home with a four man rush we tackled so well in the open field we yeah. really didn't do a lot of things. it was if you got the ball underneath we rallied up and hit so uh, now I will say this in, in deference to the other thing. When we did it, there was a little bit of a void of a great quarterback play. Like now, I mean, you look at the quarterbacks, the gauntlet you have to go through. Then we went through with no disrespect. Good saw. Brian Greasy, good, solid, you know, type player. Uh, Steve McNair, God rest his soul. But Steve was in our division, so we knew how to play Steve. Uh, Rich Cannon, when all he was doing was handing off to the number one running offense in the league in, in Oakland. Got a bunch and of and, and Kerry Collins. 
So it, it's not like we went so in deference to what well, you're talking I about. I agree. I, y'all, y'all are the greatest, man. Like it's it just, just you saw in LA when Aaron got hurt and yes. wasn't 100% different. That defense looked. I mean, that to me is like you guys were. I'm not going to compare Aaron to other Hall of Famers right. or whatever on your group, but you guys were a couple Aaron's deep kind of, you right. know. And, and at every level, we had the defensive line guy, we had the linebacker level guy, we had the back end, we had that kind of guy at every level. So it was it was it was fun to watch. Right, that was interesting to me because I've always been curious what you thought when you were watching certain defenses year to year. Just to you guys' point, you guys can't act like my 2013 Seahawks didn't have a great defense as well. We won the Super Bowl too, Coach, to your point. And uh, we stopped the, the most high-flying uh, offense that this game has ever seen. You know the thing I admire about that defense the most is that, and I mean this with the absolute most respect, you didn't do anything. Schematically, they just did the so same. That makes, so that's that no, makes cool, saying, coach. That's we just lined up and pay. And play. <laughs> that's incredible that you could yeah. just you had the talent, you knew what you could do, and even though people knew what you were doing, it, it was. You, I, I say that was respect. I will say this though: well, that was the year that uh, that Aaron blew the lead. Well, Aaron didn't blow the lead. One onside kick. No, I know we could do this. Yeah. No, that was the year before. That was yeah, the year okay, before. Okay. So the year this before we won the Super Bowl. Twenty fourteen okay, was the second year. Got it. Okay. Um, but but I, I will say this, guys. Um, that defense that we had in Seattle, man, like we had like eight rushers. We had two yeah. waves of pass rushers, yep. and Russell hadn't even figured out what he could do in this league yet. Right. Um, but I, I we're not gonna go down a battle who had the top defense, mm-hmm. coach. We can, we can talk about that forever. Sure we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk. <laughs> like in England, we averaged giving up 16 points a game in the Super Bowl year, and people were like, "Whoa, you're only a couple points behind X, Y, Z, or maybe we're 15." We weren't that good defensively. We were really good. Yeah. We were really solid, really sound. But we didn't scare people. We played complimentary football, and we didn't make the big mistakes. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes stats can be misleading, but not in y'all's group's case, in both both y'all's groups. You were in Philly, and, and one of the, one of the you know, uh, iconic plays was the Philly special. I, mean, I got to ask you if you've seen it in practice. And it, did you really think that Coach Peterson would actually call that in the, in the biggest game of the year? Yeah, because that's what Coach Peterson is like. I mean, he just – he thinks things through, but he doesn't – he's not going to weigh the negative outcome more than the positive outcome. You know, he's just got that kind of attitude where, okay, this could this is what could go wrong. It's one of those things where we were beating up on the Goliath. Like, we were pounding them on the ground, right? Mm. Our offense was, was, was bullying them. And before the half, you just feel like, yeah, you could kick. And Jake Elliott hadn't been great to that point, I don't think. He actually doinked a couple – but we could also like, we could also be real disrespectful here. <laughs> we could run a trick play, yeah. kind of twist the knife a little bit before we go into the half. And so, I think there's, I think there's something to that. And yeah, we saw people run trick plays every week. But when you're on defense, you're getting water, and you're like, some, some practice squad guy will be like, "Yo, check this play out," and you might watch, but you don't know what it's called. I always used to stand behind Nate Sudfeld all nosy like what are y'all running now what are y'all running now and he there was this point where he pulled me i think over and was like you're gonna want to know what they're running now so i think most of them kind of knew something was up and on the sideline what you want to do is not look too unchill about it because we're watching we're looking over there (laughs) guys are huddling up like oh i just remember it was a group that was perfectly embodied 
You want to know what made us champions that year? Look at that correspondence between Doug and Nick. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, and that's not to discount everything Carson did because people turn everything into Carson versus Nick. Now, what I'm saying is player to coach. It was, you want to do this? She's my friend. Let's do it. Moves to the right. It goes directly to Clement. Reverses it. The pass goes into the end zone. To Nick Foles. It's a touchdown by Nick Foles. And the Eagles with a trick play. That was our attitude. And it was, we're not afraid. We're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of the Patriots. And that was the, the attitude of the group. And so... You know, that was big for a few reasons, um, but it was big for morale going to the half. You think you, you think Doug got a bad got a bad deal? Oh, I do yeah. think, and I've said this publicly because, and you guys might feel differently, but people were all up in arms about the tanking thing. Where do you think the tanking thing comes from? You know, like, where, do you think the tanking thing, like Doug decided in the third quarter, independent of the owner and the GM, that, hey, I'm going to put in Nate Sudfeld right at this juncture? There was a plan in place. He executed the plan that was dictated to him. And if you know the power dynamic in that building, it does not start with the head coach. And people could be mad at me for saying that, but that's reality. And I'm not making an indictment on Howie or Jeffrey as being bad guys. I'm saying, I think it's tough. And I think the, I think, you know, the quarterback has to play better. Right. But they also, they also didn't really, the last two years, they haven't set him up for success. No, either. no nothing you know, around him. Those two things can be true. He has he has played poorly, and he needs to improve, yeah. and they need to improve what's going on around him. I mean, these things can all be true at the same time. Well, well welcome, to welcome to the NFL as a coach. You're not responsible, <laughs> but you're accountable. <laughs> so yeah. you're gonna, you hey, it was, yeah, Super Bowls and all the things you're going on. Phenomenal career, but I wanted you to talk about your your Walton Payton man of the yeah. year. I mean, that's. And, and, and the player, I don't think the, the fans fully appreciate how big a deal that is and how important it is to the players, particularly for someone like you that is so, is, gives so much back to the community. That was such a great honor. Thanks, Coach. Um, I really appreciate that coming from you. So, listen, it meant a lot to me because um, just to be on stage, not to win it, but to be on stage with all those other guys, you know, whether it's Malcolm Jenkins, you know, we weren't on stage the same year, but or it's, uh, you know, Kyle Rudolph or – the older dudes who had won it before I've never felt more small. I've never felt more humbled. Like, honestly, it was almost like an uncomfortable experience winning that award. You know, I'm not just saying that to be cute. I really, if you talk to my family, I was a ball of anxiety before I won that award because I don't think I'm any better than anybody, you know, and and an award like Walter Payton man of the year. I am not the best man in the NFL. (laughs) Never in any year that I've, I play with guys like Matthew Slater. Okay. Oh. Talk about people that if you like, if you had to leave the house for a year, could watch your kids, you'd leave them with your kids, like that type of human being. Like I play with those guys, man. So I'm not any better than them. We just were really productive as a, you know, I, one thing I'll concede is nobody was more productive than us off the field. My foundation does a great job. Uh, we bust our ass and, and, and we want to be, we want to be efficient. And so, it was cool to get that recognized. We do good work with in the clean water space. We do work in the education space. So I was just humbled. Well, Chris, I, I'm going to have to get with you, man. I'm in Richmond, Virginia. I have a learning center down here. We're doing some great dude. work in the community. Yeah, man, we, we're going to have to talk when we get off of this podcast. But, yeah, uh, dude, I'll come down there when things clear up. Um, are you living there now? 
Yeah, man, I'm down here, man. This is my city, man. I'm here. The Commonwealth, you and me. Yeah, I'm right down there. So we're going to make some stuff happen, dog. Don't don't worry about it. I want to give you some time before we let you go. Greenlight uh, podcast with Chris Long, bro. Like, talk to us about it. I I hear you're doing great things with it. Where can we find you and and what type of things do you guys talk about? I'm terrible at the plug stuff, but I'll do my best. (laughs) We are on Spotify, Apple, like wherever you – Apple Podcasts, wherever you want to get your podcast. We do – during the season, we do three shows a week plus a little gambling show with Stanford Steve. So, you know, we we stay busy. We try to turn out as much content as we can. We're not like a big, you know, industry giant. So, consistency, you know, a lot like playing football. You know, show up every day, uh, have fun, uh, and we talk about it all. We've got great guests and – yeah, I'm going to do a – we're going to be – you know Will Blackman. We're going to be yeah. a wine tasting today because I don't know anything about wine. <laughs> Will is all in the wine too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me know how that goes, man. But, Chris, man, thank you for stopping by the podcast, man. It was awesome, man. Uh, definitely uh, kudos to you and what, what you've done. And definitely we want to get you back here so we can talk a little bit more football um, uh, in, in the offseason, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, it's great to talk to you guys, man, always. Always, man. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Total Access, The Locker Room. For more insight with The Locker Room point of view, check out the latest episode every Wednesday and Friday on Apple and Spotify. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss in the land of saints and sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital, rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.